Hi folks, it's Matt here from the Ask the Art podcast. Today we've got another one of our guest series and I am delighted to welcome Chris on. Chris, full disclaimer here, Chris has actually used our services so um, I won't I won't ask him about that just in case he's too brutally honest. I'm, I'm not prepared to take that at this time uh, on a, uh, on a on I think it's a Tuesday, Tuesday morning. So Chris is the director of uh, Aspect Living and Aspect Living are a property development company based in uh, London is that a fair description Chris yeah yeah that's uh, pretty accurate good yeah. stuff good stuff and so Chris I often I like to start these um, podcasts by finding out a little bit about people's background and how you have ended up in the uh, in the property development business so how did you get to where you are now what kind of drove you to uh, to follow this as a as a career choice Okay, um, so full full disclaimer here. Um, my, my day job is actually in finance, uh, which I still hold down. Um, whilst uh, I do development, uh, team management, so on and so forth on the side. Um, I guess I made an active decision uh, when I left university that I wanted to get into property. Uh, I went into, uh, sort of jumped into the deep end uh, quite quickly. Uh, I went straight into HMOs. Uh, I managed to get um, a quite large Victorian um, sort of three-bed house. I converted that to a five-bed uh, HMO. Uh, it was a non-Article 4 uh, area at the time. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Article 4 is effectively a directive that councils can introduce, uh, which stops uh, a permitted development right. Uh, that can be converting houses to HMOs. It can be um, office to residential conversions, uh, so on and so forth. Um, I kind of then scaled up uh, from the first HMO, did a few back to brick, uh, HMO conversions again, um, sort of full on suite, uh, very high spec. Um, and I was looking for another <laughs> HMO. Um, they kept on falling through for one reason or another. Um, I had a few agents who approached me uh, about sort of other sort of opportunities, um, either HMO conversions or development, um, sort of uh, story sites with development potential. Um, again, uh, they kept on falling through. I think I went through about 12 deals or so, uh, where I went through uh, conveyancing, um, paid out quite a bit of money, uh, you know, went through the holes sort of uh, either bridging or uh, lending uh, process. Um, yeah, uh, and eventually managed to find sort of my first site, which was a detached house, um, which I submitted uh, planning for, for uh, two semis. Um, which was actually approved um, fairly quickly. Um, I mean, from then on, it's kind of been a bit downhill, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that, 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 that was uh, sort of my, my, my background. Um, so yeah, about six years in property or so, um, sort of going from uh, HMOs uh, through to uh, well conversions and ground up developments. Yeah. And you've 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 mentioned you've mentioned a few really interesting things there so particularly in relation to financing these kind of uh, property deals and i'm guessing your background in in finance has made that easier has it uh no <laughs> no. Uh, no so sorry but, uh, that's a little thing the background um no so uh i guess i'm a business analyst um i work for a bank um I, i've always been self-employed uh, so mm. i was a contractor um, because I earned a daily uh, rate, um, I guess it made it slightly easier uh, than, uh, I guess, peers who had day jobs uh, to get mortgages. Um, yeah. Typically, at least at the time, 
um, your affordability was calculated on whatever you earn per day, uh, times five days a week, times 48 weeks a year, uh, times about four and a half to five times, uh, which gave you the net, uh, or rather the gross amount that you could borrow. Mm. Uh, so that, that's how I went about it. Um, but no, I think in hindsight, I would have probably listened to a lot more other peers who were doing what I wanted to do at the time. I think I lost out on a lot of opportunities um, by not doing that. Um, I just sort of decided to learn this stuff myself. I'm quite hard-headed. Um, it's, it's worked out um, yeah, for the better, I guess. So I'm in an all right position. Um, but I definitely could have excelled um, the sort of uh, ground-up development process by um, understanding um yeah, what and how other people were doing and funding deals. It's it, it's a challenge though, isn't it? Because it's 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 not some. I, I suppose in some ways it it's a bit of a it's a bit of a black art. It's quite a dry subject as well. And there seems to be two types of advice out there for people that are looking to develop property and get into property. You've got one side of it, which is the I'll sell you a course on Facebook and tell you how you're going to rule the world and become a millionaire in in 10 days. And then the other side of it tends to be, I guess, industry magazines, industry articles, industry background. And you you tend to often wonder what the objectives are of those particular people. Um, Have you have you stumbled across those kind of uh, those kind of two avenues before? Yeah, um, I think the property course um, sort of selling programs uh, for you know, sort of lots of money um, is quite prevalent. And I know a lot of people who have spent quite a bit of money mm. on courses um, for the most part uh, with the sort of advent of internet um, you know, and social media. Most knowledge is free. Uh, knowledge is a yeah. cheap commodity, uh, to, to, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, you don't need to spend um, money on courses. Um, yeah, there are numerous people doing sort of podcasts like yourself, uh, you know, who are sharing their sort of their journeys on Instagram or TikTok uh, or LinkedIn, so on and so forth. Um, and it's very easy to reach out to these people and sort of like glean, um, you know, what they're doing. Um, yeah, I personally found that social media has been sort of a great avenue uh, in terms of meeting people who are doing similar things. Uh, expanding your network uh, across all sort of practices, you know, architects, uh, brokers, uh, builders, so on and so forth. Uh, and I don't have a building background, uh, but you know, I've got uh, friends who have met who are just following me uh, on Instagram, yeah. uh, who are bricklayers, and they're sort of like telling me sort of like you know, substitute, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know, London stock yellows for um, you know, something else. You know, make a huge saving. Um, these aren't things that you would know, um, you know, off the bat. Yes. Um, but most people, for the most part, are generally quite helpful uh, and they're willing to sort of uh, you know, offer their opinions. Um, it's obviously up to you in terms of whether you decide to listen to them or not. But Yeah, abs- absolutely. Well, they say, don't they, you're the sum of the 10 people you spend the most time with. So, you know, if you can, if you can surround yourself with really, really useful individuals that are I tend to find further on in the journey than perhaps you are yourself then you know they've already made those hideously expensive mistakes um and coming on to hideously expensive mistakes what I mean before before we get on to perhaps where things haven't gone the way that you might want them to what would you say are kind of your top three frustrations with um, with the planning process as it sits at the moment, trying to get some of these schemes approved? 
Um, so I'm probably fairly uniquely placed where I am. Um, a, I'm a first-time developer. Um, yeah, I find that property is a, an incredibly capital-intensive uh, industry, mm. uh, and most people who are a first-time developers or sort of you know relatively young, um, you know, if I can call myself young, um, probably don't have experience or capital to get into it. Um, most of my schemes, um, if not all of them, uh, are actually uh, in the borough of Croydon. Mm. Um, Croydon has declared bankruptcy, uh, I think, three times in the past two years or so. Um, so they have a more acute uh, funding crisis um, opposed to what the general consensus might be um, nationally. Um, so I think well, those two sort of, you know, sort of uh, issues alone probably you know, give me a bit more of a unique um, and tailored perspective. Um, but I guess overall, um, it's probably... I, I think recently there's been a, a general sort of consensus amongst residents that they want to oppose uh, developments regardless of where or what they are. Um, NIMBYism isn't really a construct that exists as much in the suburbs or large cities as opposed to places with sort of, you know, large swathes of countryside. Um, but Croydon had an abundance of approvals, which were nine flatted developments uh, on single plots, which residents absolutely hated. Uh, they had um, a policy, which was SPV2, um, which for the most part was yeah, developer's charter. It was a ticklist exercise uh, that said, if the neighbouring dwellings are detached houses, you can build four storeys. Um, yeah, you can uh, have parking uh, at a ratio of 0.5 to 1 if you're in a certain PTEL uh, location, PTEL being a sort of transport um, what's the word? Um, viability or effectiveness within an area. Um, but that, that sort of overall policy uh, resulted in, in my opinion, um, certain developments that maybe weren't suited uh, to the character mm. of the area. Um, and probably enhanced and uh, frustrated uh, residents' opinions uh, even more. Um, I've seen you know, small developments, um, you know, like six, seven flats or so, which have garnered sort of 600 or so objections. Um, and it's just because you know, the residents just don't want anything you know, additionally yeah. there. Um, I, I've tried to combat that by going for mostly housing developments, uh, mm. and I still find that residents oppose them uh, massively. I mean, if you're building sort of detached houses opposite someone's you know, house uh, on a background site, um, it doesn't really impact them. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily think you can use the argument that you know my house value will decrease. Um, detached houses probably increase your house value. Um, yeah, don't don't quote me on that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the residents' views. Um, the I guess lack of resource available to mm. planning departments uh, in an already constrained environment um, and I guess the cost uh, involved um, for the number of surveys and consultants that you're expected to engage um, at, you know, at pre-app uh, and before you submit a full application uh, it, it racks up quite a bit um, and given there's no guarantee um, yeah. that you'll get a decision um, arguably yeah, a lot of the sort of reports that you get could probably be you know, conditioned. Um, yeah. I was just going to ask you that exact 
question do you feel that some of this some of this stuff can be conditioned i mean there there are things that there are things that can't be and and do you often i i find i think sometimes that <clears throat> particularly with pre app the the planning officer that you deal with can sometimes be quite junior and a lot of the responses can be very copy and paste and you do wonder what the value is in that pre app process how have you found that at uh, at, at croydon yeah, so I think that's a fair comment. I, in retrospect, wouldn't have gone for pre-apps. I don't really think they serve much purpose for less contentious developments. I understand the need if you're building a you know, five-storey high-rise building um, or you know, something that's you know, uh, maybe slightly more contemporary uh, in a sort of traditional sort of setting. Yeah. But... I have, for all of the five or six pre-apps I've done, I haven't received a written response for about three of them, um, for one. Um, wow. So that's kind of, mm. it's not much wasted, but you know, I, I don't have anything I can rely on. Um, policy changes continuously as well, so you can't rely on uh, um, your pre-app um, feedback as gospel. I've had planners uh, renege on what they've said in pre-app mm. uh, on several applications. Um, yeah, so I, I personally don't necessarily know that there's much um, benefit. I understand that if you go to appeal, um, the planning inspector likes to see that you've at least um, you're entertained uh, the council uh, in terms of you know sort of going back and forth, um, you know, understanding their views uh, to try and tailor the development to what the council deem acceptable. But given the length of time that that takes, and especially if you operate um, you know, you know, having options I don't know that it's feasible um, mm. I seldom you know, I don't know many developers who have options for longer than 18 months I was just going to ask that question is is that fairly common that people start to start to get frustrated and withdraw those those options after that kind of time period um, because yeah I mean really you need a good couple of years don't you two to three years really I guess to be confident that you're going to get all your ducks in a row on that Exactly, um, and the risk is is that you know, your option lapses uh, or expires uh, if it's not an open-ended option. Uh, the vendor says, "Actually, I want more," uh, and you're faced with either you know, being held, you know, metaphorically uh, to gunpoint, um, you know, by a vendor who wants more for a site that you've gained planning for, or the developer just says, "You know, what? it's not worth uh, yeah, my time. I'm going to pull the app." Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, the government is out on the housing. Um, yeah, someone spent however much uh, in redundant costs, and yeah, no one wins. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not good. It's not good. And I guess it's worth pointing out. I mean, within our own company, we operate uh, nationwide, and I'd like to say that what you're saying to me is the first time I've I've heard <laughs> frustrations with local planning authorities. But 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 it's not. But I think. Do you have any sympathy for them and their position? Because it. <sighs> I tend to find that these officers are overworked, underpaid, have ridiculous workloads. Or do you think? I think it's a two. I, from my own perspective, I think it's a two-stage thing. I think some of them could help themselves by making a bit more pragmatic decisions. But then I guess when your every decision you make is in the public domain, um, you're the, the the pressure they must be under is incredible i guess what i'm saying is we possibly need to look at the planning system as a whole don't we and how we can perhaps 
revamp this and make it a little bit more streamlined. It's hard not to it's hard not to throw mud though. I try not to throw mud at local planning authorities, but I find myself doing it more and more because it's so frustrating. Uh, that's fair. I mean, that's probably a wider conversation. Um, yes, uh, <laughs> people sort of in the public sector um, are probably underpaid, um, and it's true. Um, if you are underpaid, under-resourced, and you know, the private sector are offering uh, you know, more glamorous jobs, higher pay, so on and so forth. For the most part, you probably end up with you know, a, a workforce that isn't necessarily the most motivated um, or aren't necessarily the best placed to make decisions uh, relating to planning. Um, I mean, particularly frustrating is the changes internally um, mm. in planning uh, departments. I've had different planning officers on two different pre-apps, uh, and then I've had a different planning officer uh, for full submission. Um, yeah, given a planning, sorry, given a pre-app is you know, an opinion. Um, it doesn't really make sense to change yeah. that because you're forever, you know, moving the goalposts. Um, so no, I, I do empathise and sympathise with them, but in the same breath, in the private sector, yeah, we face the same issues. Uh, we're all resource constrained, and the difference is we probably have less grace in terms of errors, timeframes, um, so on and so forth, and we're also held accountable by public bodies or regulators as well absolutely absolutely and are you finding that those time frames to get a decision are getting drawn out into infinity and beyond to steal a phrase um I, i'm i'm probably fairly lucky so I, I i started development possibly the worst possible time uh, which was immediately after the pandemic started. Mm. So had a period uh, of maybe two years or so where you know, applications were taking six months to be validated and then an additional sort of 12 months to be determined or so. So you were spending sort of 12 months or so uh, just you know, it, for a decision on your full app, let alone yeah. the app. So, so. Whereas now we've kind of come out of the pandemic uh, and we're starting to sort of normalise um, you know, in terms of work balance, work-life balance and you know, workloads, um, I actually think that we're moving in the right direction. So the past few applications I've had have been you know, several times faster uh, than the first applications that were determined. Um, we're still some way off um, the statutory guidelines, uh, you know, eight weeks or 13 weeks, but we're definitely trending in the right direction, in my opinion. That's good. Yeah, no, that's that's that that's good to hear. And I mean, outside of the outside of the actual planning consent side of things, what what's the um, what's your biggest frustration in that in that space at the moment? Is it um, finding good tradespeople? Is it um, is it instructing people to do surveys, architecture? Is there one thing that sticks out, and you think, "Oh no, I've got to, I've got to engage the services of an ecologist." That's going to be a pain. I don't know where I start here. Um, I've, I've got several problems. Mm. I, I, I'm struggling to find reliable tradespeople who are reasonably priced. Uh, everyone who's good is either booked up for you know, years, uh, you know, ahead, uh, or alternatively, uh, they want a premium because yeah. they're so good. Um, I also have a problem of blah, 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 uh, finance as well. Um, so, given the base rate uh, or swap rate rather, increases uh, of late, um, financing is becoming 
a lot more challenging. Mm. So we've got increasing costs, uh, which have probably increased, I don't know, maybe 30% uh, on two years ago or so. Um, we're faced with increased uh, finance costs. Uh, and then we've got uh, landowners uh, and vendors who also want a premium for their sites. Mm. Um, those three factors um, you know, sort of collectively make a lot of schemes unviable um, unless you are a contracted developer. The difficulty with developers is that a lot of developers are, for the most part, middlemen. Um, yeah. We don't necessarily do anything. We're just project managers. Yeah, we find sites, we find, um, yeah, we, we engage architects, we engage all the planners, consultants, we engage a contractor and just piece it all together. But we don't actually do anything. However, you do have a few contractor developers who are able to build at cost. They know what they're doing. Uh, they can purchase a site, maybe with a premium or so, uh, and they can build a lot more competitively than the developers who do things from, you know, a to z yes um so i i think i'm starting to see that change that change as well um land values are decreasing because people aren't paying uh the premiums that maybe they once could get uh two three years ago mm. um but yeah i only time to tell i mean we're starting to see uh we, we do some work I, we we do bits and bobs for national house builders but but some fairly sizable local house builders um on you know sort of 30 40 unit schemes and we are starting to see quite a few of those projects being pulled now um because they're not they're not viable they were selling stuff off plan ready to go pretty much and uh and now they're scaling back the phases of these developments so they're only perhaps building two or three units trying to sell those uh and then moving on sites that we were instructed to um start work on in some cases has has been pulled now whether they're actually starting to see the financial impacts within their own businesses or whether they're reacting to hype and media, I don't know. But certainly there was a real sudden and complete lack of confidence. I think it probably started, I'm going to say, early December last year um, in developers. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, it's it's a bit of a mess out there at the moment. That coupled with rising costs and um, a lack of tradespeople, as you identify, and you know that <laughs> when you say tradespeople or builders, people automatically think you're looking for somebody to do first fit electrics on a house or or build a house. Well, it, it could just be that you just need them to come and change a consumer unit or um, swap out a toilet or something. And yeah, trying to find anybody to do jobs like that at the moment is uh, is incredible. Which seems conversely. Um, it, it it's just not joined joined up if 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 the economy is contracting why have we got no trades oh was a microphone falling around why have we got no trades people to do work uh, i mean have you got a view on that uh so i'm very much uh, in favor uh or an advocate of doing apprenticeships um rather than sort of you know white collar um sort of work um, I think we have a, a lot of money can be made uh, doing trades. Uh, I think they're useful skills uh, to have, uh, which genuinely carry uh, you know, a society uh, or economy forward. Um, so I think, again, of late, uh, the past few years, there's been a concerted effort by government uh, and others to try to get, you know, sort of, I guess, young sort of generations uh, you know, after school uh, to go into more technical uh, roles. Um, yeah, pr- a prime example is um, yeah, Rishi Sunak um, yeah, mandating that 
uh, all say, 16, 18 year olds have to do mathematics yeah. uh, until uh, well, A level. Um, that's fine. Um, I'm, again, very strong advocate of maths. I think it's one of the most useful skills you can uh, have. But I also acknowledge that not everyone um, suits that sort of career path. Um, maybe some people should become bricklayers or electricians or plumbers. We need them, uh, not only for building, uh, you know, building Britain, um, but for you know, maintaining your own house. You know, if, if something goes wrong, you need the consumer unit changed or you know, uh, to rewire your house or fit, I don't know, um, you know, a heat pump, um, you, know, you rely on these people and we don't have enough of them. Um, I, I can't comment on, I guess, the financial incentives um, for doing that. I know that there are some programs actively encouraging people to sort of, you know, take up, uh, you know, green, greener uh, initiatives, um, you know, in terms of installing ground source, air source, heat pumps, uh, solar panels, so and so forth. But I don't know that a lot of this stuff is sustainable, um, both in terms of carbon footprint that it generates uh, training required um, and yeah for the most part the notional cost of doing so um yeah yeah it's um it's a it's a yeah there, there are there are some huge challenges out there facing us uh, as, as as a country at the moment and as an individual i tend to be um very positive about these things i i don't watch the news or listen to the news or anything like that because i find that that has a negative well it influences my decisions within my with my own business which i guess kind of feeds me through um as we approach sort of half an hour of taking up your time that uh, we we have a kind of a, a closing final question that I like to like to ask people particularly people who are um, entrepreneurs and running their own business have you got a uh, a favorite tool or productivity hack that you within you use within your own business that perhaps other people might not be aware of that's a great uh, question <laughs> one that I've surprisingly never been asked um so I, okay uh, specifically from a development perspective uh, developers require land um, without land you have to develop um, someone told me ages ago uh, how a lot of developers you know, find sites uh, they'll be driving around um, and you know, they'll see a site that's you know, maybe a rundown house or small house on a large plot of land uh, they'll pull over and they'll just knock on the door uh, yeah. and that has been you know, the most life changing bit of advice I've ever received wow um, I, uh, yeah, to, to, to date uh, I have a very very high conversion rate uh, in terms of uh, options that I get, um, every option I've got has just been, been from me door knocking. Um, more often than not, I get a lot of messages by LinkedIn, uh, you know, Instagram, so on and so forth, going up. You know, how are you find all these options? Uh, and I sell, I say this to people because, yeah, everyone else in the market is just sending letters. Um, if you've seen a site, um, you know, it means that 10, 20, 30, 40 other people have seen that site yep. too. And that vendor probably has about 30 letters or so. The only way to really distinguish yourself is to go out, door knock, um, and build a report. Um, yeah, That's worst brilliant. case, you know, the person says no, <laughs> or they're not in. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of actually operating and having a pipeline to develop, um, going out there, door knocking, uh, and not being afraid has definitely been um, the most life-changing bit of advice. That's brilliant. Uh, that but I've I found I, I'm considerably older than you, I fear. Um, and I have discovered over the years that, um, well, certainly over the last 10 to 15 years, that, and, and employing 
quite young graduates within my own business as well on occasions that those human to human contact skills are lacking they're dwindling people are afraid to actually pick up the phone and speak to somebody let alone speak to someone face to face they want to send a text they want to send uh they want to send an email and quite often just picking up the phone and speaking to somebody can solve a lot of problems <laughs> extremely quickly i mean the, the the lack of tonality in email and text communication i can't even begin to um, think how many problems that that causes nationwide uh, you know so yeah knock on the door speak to people that's um, that's, a, that's a brilliant one you'll possibly wish you hadn't put that out there now this is yeah. going to be a flurry of door knocking around the around the Croydon area so <laughs> oh dear Chris thank you for your time um, it's really really useful to get uh, to get a developer on here to get a developer uh, perspective so folks what I would say is um, if you've got any got any questions I'm sure Chris would uh, would welcome you reaching out to him um, Chris how can people get in contact with you uh, so Instagram's probably uh, the best one um, if you give a follow to aspect living um, you can follow me on LinkedIn uh, or any general emails uh, info at aspectliving.co.uk perfect i will stick all that in uh, in the description and uh, yeah thanks for coming along and i will speak to you soon that was chris les floors from aspect design it was interesting to hear chris's journey from the finance world to property development in particular the challenges around interaction with local planning authorities and uh, in particular his thoughts around the value of pre-app advice. Look, we know local authorities are cash-strapped and nobody wants to bash people who are doing their best under difficult circumstances, but it's clear, isn't it, really, that change is, uh, is required. To reach Chris and maybe find out some more about obtaining options to purchase and his unique perspective, but actually pretty obvious approach to building relationships with people, find him on Instagram at Aspect Living and follow the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Harmsworth and you have been listening to the Ask the R podcast.